You know, last night I, I had a weird dream. I, I dreamed that I was taking my wife out on a date. And we were um, at a table that looked like this, you know, like a mega church pulpit. And at the end of the meal, like, she made a comment, and I made a comment, and she thought it was funny. And I realized towards the end of the meal that I'm really in love with this woman, and I think I'm going to ask her to marry me. And then I realized, wait a second, we have three kids. (laughs) And then I woke up. Yeah, and then it was interesting because I've been telling uh, Raina these dreams, and she's like, that's funny. I've been having dreams, like romantic dreams too. And she goes, except I'm single. I'm like, (laughs) all right, what does that mean? Um, You know, the, the, the dream that I just shared has nothing to do with the message I'm giving today. Nothing, nothing at all. There's no connection. Um... But the message I'm giving today is just kind of heavy. And so I, just, I, I thought it nice, might be nice to start off with something a little fun. Um, okay, now back to the heavy. Um, we're in the middle of a series called Serve the World. And if you remember five months ago, this is a little bit of the context for the series. I'm having a conversation with our pastors and our young adults And we're, during this series of conversations, we are mutually realizing that of the three purposes of our church, which are love God, love other people, and serve the world, that we're spending the least amount of time on the last one, which is serve the world. And of these three purposes of our church, which are all very important, and they all kind of feed into one another, But this last one is the only one that you can do for a limited time basis. You know those commercials that really hook you when they say, this is available for a limited time basis. Well, I think when it comes to the opportunity of impacting the world, it's true. When Jesus and after Jesus comes back to renew the world, the unique opportunities that we have now at that moment will have come to an end. So there are things that we are called to do in this life and they're very urgent and we want to talk about them. Can I get an amen from the church? Um, Please remember that in the beginning of the series, um, I had said this, that I got a gem from our last church retreat speaker. His name was Pastor Gary, Dr. Gary. And one of the things that he said that really stuck with me is that the mission of God and social justice in general is so broad and so varied that there's really enough room for every person to find their niche. So I know we're all different. I know we got some crazies in here. And the good news is that there is so much room in the mission of God that there is room for you to be exactly who God has called you to be and to find your niche. Maybe two Sundays ago, environmental justice just isn't your passion. Maybe three weeks ago when we talked about simplifying your life, maybe that wasn't your passion. 
My wife, by the way, has been telling me every week, uh, the pastors are giving us something new to think about, about our mission. And it's kind of easy to get overwhelmed and to feel like, well, I'm not doing enough. And so maybe people feel like you just want to resign yourself and you wind up doing nothing. Now, let me say this again. The mission of God is so broad and so varied that there is room for every person to find their niche. So maybe when you look back in the entire series, maybe you're not going to fully, deeply apply every Sunday's message. That's fine. Maybe you go deep in one part. You apply deeply in one part. And then in another part, your thinking is challenged. But wouldn't you agree that for every message, we should deeply care? Wouldn't you guys agree with that? Me too. Um, so let's do a bit of, re- of a review. I, I don't know if we're at the midway point. I think we're kind of at halftime. Uh, here's a little halftime kind of review. During the first installment of this series, we said this. We said, church, if you're going to do one thing, do this. Make disciples of Jesus Christ. And then for the second and third week, we talked about simplify. We said, uh, if you remember, simplify doesn't necessarily mean just having less stuff, but having stuff mean less to you. And so we talked about that. And then we talked about strategies for uh, how we can consider um, living more simply. And then the following week, we talked about being a good steward of the planet and thinking about the kind of world that we want to leave behind for our grandkids. And if you recall, Vicky's sister came and, and shared about a lot of neat strategies to make that happen. And then last week and today, we're talking about world missions. So... I want to start with this question, which is, okay, we're talking about world missions. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Honestly, I imagine someone saying, look, giving someone food to eat when they're hungry, that makes sense. That's tangible. Why are you talking about changing someone's religion? Uh, I I imagine people might be thinking, all that matters is that people believe in something that works for them. If someone has a religion, or maybe it's no religion at all, but if it works for them, it should be fine. There shouldn't be any problem there. Why do we need to care about proselytizing people of different faiths so that we can brag about how many members we have according to our brand? Maybe some people are kind of thinking that. Why should you even care about world global evangelism? Now, today what I want to do is I want to make the case for why every single person in the room should care deeply, deeply about world mission. In fact, I want to make a case for why every person in this room should not only deeply care, but be willing to say, I will do whatever it takes, include living simply to sell my stuff, include going if God calls me, I'm willing to make a huge sacrifice, personal sacrifice, for world mission. Uh, I've been reading this book about the first Baptist missionary 
that was sent off by the United States. I, I'm guessing that people probably don't even know his name. I didn't know his name before I read the book. His name is Adinaram Judson. Back then they had uh, more colorful names, Adinaram. And, uh, and he was married to Nancy. And I've been reading this book. Yeah, that's not as decorated a name. Uh, but, but we love the name Nancy, by the way. Um, um, so Adinaram and Nancy Judson. And I've been reading this book. It's been blowing, blowing my mind. Now, they, they picked up everything and they left everything to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in Burma. And uh, so this is what happened. I still think you should read the book, but let me just tell you what happened. So uh, they, they go, they sail, they sail to, to Burma, they land, Nancy's pregnant, they have a child. Child dies. Uh, they have another child. Child dies. All to the rough conditions of the missionary life in Burma. And then... They have a third child, and then Adinaram gets thrown into prison. After two years later, he gets released from prison, and then Nancy dies. And after that, his third child dies, and then he gets thrown into a three-year depression. I'm, I'm reading this, okay, and I'm thinking, oh, man, what could possibly compel a person to want to live a life like that or be driven to sacrifice on that level? I'm reading this like, oh gosh, is it worth it? Is it worth it? What could be worth it for a person to say, yeah, sign me up, I'll do that. And, And today I actually want to present a case that I think at the end of the day, I think if people really look at the at the case I'm presenting, people in their heart of hearts will go, okay, actually I think it's worth it. Um that's my hope. It's a big hope. Because maybe people in the room, if you're really honest, you're like, actually, I don't care that much about missions. And so I'm asking God to to speak to us. And so um, that's going to take some prayer. (laughs) So would you all stand with me? I'm just going to call out to God to help us in this time to speak to our hearts. And uh, and then let's just see what he does. Okay, let's pray. Um, Father, a lot of us in your church family, if we're honest, and I don't say this in a condemning way, but if we're honest, maybe we don't care that much about global evangelism. And we're just being honest. And, and Father, if, if that offends you, please forgive us. Uh, please forgive me. In your kindness, I pray that you will do what only you can do, which is change us from the inside out. Father, would you start with our minds, as the scripture says. Would you transform us by the renewing of our minds. Help us to believe, not in our own opinions, but in the authority of your written word. And give us clarity as to what you have revealed in your written word. And then I pray that you would change our hearts. May our hearts break for what breaks yours. Lastly, Father, I pray that you would change our feet, I guess, and our hands so that we will go where you want us to go and do what you uh, call us to do, what pleases you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. All right, you guys can take a seat. All right. Now, I think a good place to go would just be the most popular opinions of our day. I'm just kidding. I think the best place for us to go is to the scripture. But um, let's start with the numbers. Today, we have over 7 billion people in the world. How many of the 7 billion people would you say do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? I just want you to venture a guess. Turn to someone next to you and give a number. How many, how many Christians are there in this world? And then subtract that by 7 billion. Now, I, I just want to say, let's be generous. So, um, so we'll include the different sort of denominations, okay? Uh, go ahead and, uh, and share. Give a, give a number. All right, now having the other person give a number. Okay, well, the, the number um, is uh, 4.5 billion. 4.5 billion in the world who have never, who, who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, that's, that's a lot of people. There's a fair amount of people in, in America who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But there's a difference. Because in America, you can go to a bookstore. You probably have access to the internet. If you're interested in learning about the gospel or finding about, there's access. But did you know that today there are a lot of people who do not even have access. And they will live and breathe and they will die never hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now that number, that number there's a range I, I just recently saw a video that put that number at 3 billion. And then I was reading another book that put the number at 1.5 billion. So I don't know why there's such a wide variance. But I, I feel like I need to actually give you that range with all credibility. So it's 1.5 to about 3 billion people who will live and die and have never heard about Jesus Christ. And that's the number today. Now, I think the question that really we're wrestling with and trying to address today is what is going to happen to these people? What's going to happen to these people? Uh, one writer says, there probably isn't a more important question for American Christians today. What's going to happen to all these people who have never heard of the name of Jesus? Now, I think the best way to answer this question, as I said before, is to go through the scriptures. And what better a, a book of the Bible to go through than the book of Romans? So we're going to go through quickly, and, um, and hopefully we're going to go through it pretty clearly. Okay, so grab your Bibles, and we're going to make about five stops. And the first one, I'm going to give you the truth statement that's... Um, that summarizes that passage. I'm going to take you through the passage, going to teach on it, and then move on, okay? Because we got five stops here. Okay, truth number one. All people, all people have knowledge of God. If you're feeling along in, in your, in fill in the blank, knowledge is the one that you want to write down. Romans 1, 19, 20. Here we go. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Who's them? Them is all people. Because God has shown it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Okay, this is Paul's starting place. All people have knowledge of God. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what you've been taught. It doesn't matter your ethnic heritage. All people have knowledge of God. This includes the man in the African jungle, the woman in the Asian village, the nomad in the remotest desert, the person that's born in Alameda. All people have knowledge of God because God has revealed himself to them. You go, how? It's revealed through the beauty of a tree. It's revealed through the complexities of the human body. It's revealed through the glory of the stars in the heavens. All people have knowledge of God. Truth number two, all people reject God. All people reject God. This is Romans 1, 21 and 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Okay, Paul says that every person on the planet has failed to honor God and to give thanks to God. He created this world for us to live in. He, he gave each of us a masterpiece called the human body. And he gave it to each of us. He's given us food this morning even, and loved ones. And instead of honoring him in a way that he deserves to be honored, instead of thanking him in a way that he deserves to be thanked, we've actually exchanged him for idols. Now, why, why do we do that? Really quick, it's a combination of free choice and also the inclinations of the human heart. It's a rebellious inclination given us by the choices made by the first man and the first woman. And so what we do is we substitute God and we reject him in favor of idols, not necessarily literal idols, but idols of the heart, like ambition, like money, like relationships, like even family and kids, like having the approval of other people. All people reject God. Now listen, someone, someone here says, whoa, whoa oh, come on, Pastor Andrew, come on. What happens to the innocent man in the middle of Africa who dies without ever hearing the gospel? They're going to go to heaven, right? Now, you said, what happens to the innocent man in the middle of Africa who dies without ever hearing the gospel? When they die, they go to heaven, right? I would say, I would say yes. But here's the thing, there's no such guy that exists, right? Because the question was, what happens to the innocent man, right? And apparently, according to Romans, according to the argument of Paul, there is no such thing as an innocent man because all people have knowledge of God and all people have rejected him. And so that argument doesn't really hold because no one is innocent. Everyone has rejected God. Everyone has failed to honor him and thank him as they should. 
You know, when we go to a funeral, we almost always say they're in a better place. And we, you know, we say, you know, they're in, they're in heaven. And, but this is the crazy thing. Paul in Romans in chapter one is saying, uh, the default is not heaven. The default, I mean, it's even hard for me to say this. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like saying this. But my best read on these scriptures is that the default is not heaven. The default is because of what we've done, because of where we've been, eternal separation from God, which is also known as hell. Now, this is heavy. And this is my, not my intention. I, I, don't, I don't like relish, oh, I'm going to go and give a really heavy sermon and everyone's going to you know, feel like this incredible burden. It's not my intention. My intention this morning is to be biblical. And so I'm asking you in these words, in these truths, am I being biblical? And that's a reality that we're facing. Now, truth number three is all people stand guilty and condemned for rejecting God. Now, I'm going to let you look at that scripture verse on your own time. But really quickly, every single person will be held accountable before God. Every single person has fallen short. All people stand guilty and condemned before God. And some people come to the conclusion that if certain people around the world don't have the opportunity to hear about Jesus, then automatically that excuses them from God's condemnation. So they go like, if people have never heard, then they won't be judged for rejecting. And here, one of the books that have really kind of influenced my thinking with David Platt, he goes, you guys, do we really believe that? If we really believe that, then wouldn't it make sense for like the Pope or like, you know, who, who, whoever's in charge to just shut down world missions, right? Just shut it down, shut it down. Because it's better for people not to hear at all than for them to hear and for some to accept and some to reject. So just, just shut it all down because then you wouldn't be responsible for what, what you have heard. That doesn't, that doesn't really make sense. Or imagine the argument goes like this. Okay, look, uh, you're talking to a bunch of people that, uh, who have never heard the gospel, and if, if this is really how it is, then wouldn't the argument be not necessarily presenting the gospel because some would reject and some would accept, but wouldn't it be like, hey, listen, if anyone comes up to you and starts talking about this name, Jesus Christ, this is what you do. You plug your ears, right, You run, and you go, and you run away, right? That, I mean, that, that would make more sense because then you wouldn't be responsible for what you've heard. No, now you look into that, that argument and it is logical, but it doesn't make any sense. And, uh, and you know, so if we put this all together, all people have knowledge of God, all people reject God, all people are guilty and condemned for rejecting God, now, okay, this is all bad news. This is terrifying news. This is awful, horrendous news. And I'm just wondering, church, if anyone is ready for good news. Truth number four. God has made a way of salvation for the lost. God has made a way of salvation for the lost. Romans 3, 21, 20, uh, 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
for all who believe. Now listen to this. This is what we get to share with the world, okay? There has never been an innocent man who has kept all of God's commandments, except one. And this perfectly innocent, perfectly beautiful, perfectly righteous man was killed on a cross. He was killed so that the people who believe in him could live. He took the blame so that we could be blameless. He was treated as sin so that we could be treated as sinless, forgiven. He died, he rose from the grave, and through him all can be righteous before God and assured of eternal life. God has made a way of salvation for the lost. Church, can I get an amen? My brother and I recently went to Taiwan. And... um, During part of our our trip, I was confused as to why we were there. It seemed like we were on uh, a mission to eat as much good Taiwanese food as we possibly could. And I think that's what we did. We ate our way through Taiwan. It was funny, though. My brother uh, had a little bit of, uh, uh, you guys heard of stinky tofu? Yeah, my brother tasted it for the very first time. We've always had this this over-fascination with it, like, you know, And so it's funny, my brother um, ordered stinky tofu, took one bite, and he went, (laughs) and he he walked out of the restaurant. I'm like, David, that is so incredibly rude. Um, But that's what he did. That's what we did in Taiwan. Uh, We went on this uh, eating tour. and uh, uh, But before then, uh, a big reason why we went is because I have an auntie, and my auntie who lives in Kaohsiung, like, more the, the the southern half of Taiwan, she has cancer. I think it's 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 stage four, and I really feel like these are the the the, the last chapter of her life. So my brother and I, we didn't have much time here. Um, we said, let's go pay her a visit. And I was talking to my brother. I was like, hey, Dave, let's share with her the gospel. And my brother is like, okay, let's do it. And so the day of, we met at Starbucks. And then we prayed for my auntie, and uh, we even fasted. And then we took this uh, train down to um, Kaohsiung. And it was like, you know, two, three hours long. But I was kind of excited because, you know, when you like, when you're fasting and you're praying, you have this expectancy that God's going to do something. And so as we were going down, I feel like, you know, God's going to do something, and we get to actually share the gospel to my auntie. So anyway, we got there, and uh, my, my Chinese is, you know, it's lan landa, which means it's really bad. You know, it's, it's super bad. Like, I know it's bad because I went to the eye screening, and I was praying for this older lady, and uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to share, I'm going to show off some of my Chinese and include elements of the gospel. And then afterwards, I prayed for her in Chinese. She looked at Syria, who's African-American, and she goes, oh, his Chinese is really bad. And uh, I was like, why? Was it like, Syria's Chinese better than mine? But um, so apparently my Chinese is really bad, like really, really bad. So we needed a translator, which was my cousin. And his name is Larry. So at the table was my auntie and, and Larry and my brother and myself. And uh, my brother has a side conversation with Larry, which is, hey, Larry, um, we want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your mom. 
and we would like you to translate because our Chinese is just so bad, you know? And Larry basically said, mm, I don't think that's a good idea, right? Now, I don't know why he thought that was not a good idea. I, I, th I thought that Larry was a Christian, um, but there he was. And my brother is a very polite person. I'm like the, the brash, like rude younger brother, and he's like the responsible older brother, right? And so he's getting his cues from Larry. Larry's kind of shutting it down. And so I feel like, okay, we're not going to share the gospel with Auntie. That's, that, that's fine, I guess, you know? So we're sitting here at the table, and then Auntie turns to Cousin and says, hey, what was that about? And Cousin says, oh, they wanted to just, like, I, they wanted to share about their Christian faith of you, but I, you know, I put it, I shut it down, right? And then Auntie's like, no, 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 they came all the way here. Let them go ahead and share about their faith. Go ahead, proselytize me, you know. <laughs> go ahead, just go ahead, give it to me. But then she said this, she said this, she said, you say what you want to say, and I will think what I want to think. Fair enough. So we're at the table, and I'm just like, Auntie, you know the story that before my father died, we, we had a church friend come and share with him about Jesus Christ, the hope of Jesus Christ. And so when he died, he had this hope, and I know that I'm going to see my daddy again. And so now, Auntie, at this time, we want to share that same hope with you. And for the next 10 minutes, I just shared the good news about Jesus Christ, and Larry was translating every word. And at the end, my auntie looked at me, and she was taking it all in. Like, for the first time in the conversation, she was kind of speechless. She wouldn't say anything. She was listening to it. And actually, I said, Auntie, have you heard that before? And she said, actually, yes, I have. I've been reading these, this pamphlet that's given by this church, and so I've been reading about the gospel. So apparently, even before I was there, God was already there doing some, a work in my auntie. But it, it, it is so incredible that in the middle of all this bad news, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You, you turn on the news. It's bad news. And all the bad news of our rebellion, of our estrangement from God, God made a way when there was no way through the sacrifice of his own son and through his perfect life and his death on the cross. We have this good news to share about God's righteousness coming to us through the death of his son. And that's good news that we get to share. At this moment, there are 4.5 billion people who do not know Christ and they will live and they will die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. And I think about Adoniram Judson, his wife, his three kids, they all died. He got thrown into jail. What could possibly compel a man to live this kind of life or pay that kind of cost? Can it be out of a passion for the glory of God and out of a great compassion for those who have never heard? Now, if you don't mind, I would like to show you a few pictures of people who are in the unreached category, okay? So I, I have a, a first three pictures to show. I'm not going to explain too much about them, but I just want you to take a look. Because it's easy to, actually it's not easy, but 
But it's one thing to go into the scriptures and to talk truth and conviction, but it's another thing to look in the eyes of people who we're talking about. So let's go ahead and show the first picture. I just want you to look into this woman's eyes. She is from India. She's from an unreached people group. This woman may very well live, may very well die tomorrow, and have never heard the name of Jesus. Go ahead, next picture. Again, this is African tribe, unreached people group. How about the next one? Now, it could be me, but it looks like she's kind of throwing up a peace sign, but definitely very cute. And this woman, this this girl may live and die without ever hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jerry, could you turn up the, the mic? My, my voice is starting to go a little bit. Now, if you, if you don't mind, I, I'd like to get a little bit more personal, and I'd like to show you just a few more pictures. Um, they're not of the unreached, but they are of the irrepressibly adorable. So I, if you don't mind, I just, okay, there you go. Ah, He's a good-looking kid, isn't he? Um, I, I, I'll have you know that um, they, they said to me that when you have kids, it's kind of like your heart outside your body walking around with two legs. And I, I think it might be true. Uh, this is my oldest son. His name is Ryan. Um, and it's one of those things, when he scored his first goal, I, was right, I, I felt like I was scoring my first goal. Right? Uh, here's, here's my second son. Ah, there he is. Does he look more like me? That's why he's so handsome. Um, my second son, when he uh, had Kawasaki's disease, um, oh my gosh, I was right there in the hospital with him, and I felt like, you know, I had Kawasaki's disease. And so um, those few days when he was being re rehabilitated, I was there with him. He was suffering, I was suffering. He got better, I got better. Uh, and here's my, here's my youngest. Ah, there you go. I don't know if you've met her. She's got some sass. Yeah, you can see that sass right there. You know what I tell my daughter is I tell her um, that when she came out of her mother's womb, I was the first one to greet her and to meet her in the world. Now, actually, I don't even know if that's true. I actually think it was probably the doctor. But I tell her that anyways and it's funny, she'll turn back to me. This, this is her session. She'll say, Daddy, that's not true. God was the first person to see me. And what do you do in response to that? You're not going to argue. You're like, yeah, okay, I humbly, okay, yes, okay, yes. God, <laughs> the God was the very first person. Now, now, here's the thing. When I look at these, here's my point. When I look at the last three pictures, I looked at them kind of differently than I looked at the first three, right? Am I right? Like, when I looked at the last three, I was like, I mean, I'm thinking, oh, these are my babies. These are my babies. Let me tell you about my babies, right? Now, if one of my babies needed a kidney, I would say, ask your mom, right? And then, and then, and then I would say, I would give you mine gladly. If, if, if they needed a left arm, chop. I would chop off my left arm and give it to my kids. Nothing I wouldn't do for my kids, right? Now, the, the first three pictures... There is someone in this world who looks at those pictures and says, that's my baby. 
I would give my left arm for my baby. I would give my kidney for my baby. I would give my very own son for my baby. Now, who would, who would say that? Well, it's their biological father, probably. It's definitely Father God. When he looks at these faces, what does he see? There is someone saying, that's my baby. That's my baby. I died for that woman. That news needs to get to that woman. She needs to hear this news. There's, on my heart as a pastor, there's some desperation there. This woman desperately needs to hear this news. Now let's look at these faces again. But let's look at it a different way. Not from the way of how God must see them. Can you, can you hear the whisper of his heart as he looks at these people? Let's do the next picture. Someone out there is saying, that's my child. And let's look at the next picture. That's my child. She's got a lot of sass. And Jesus gave his son for such as these. That news has to get out. It is good, good news. Now, let's ask the question, how's that news going to get out? What's God's plan? Truth number five, here we go. Christ commands the church to make the gospel known to all peoples. Romans 10, 13 to 15, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach on this if they are not sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. 4.5 billion who are headed towards eternal separation with God. What is God's solution? He sends people. Those people are small, but they have a big message. And those people preach. Some that they preach to will inevitably believe. And those who believe will call in the name of the Lord. And those who call will be saved. 4.5 billion, what is God's solution? He sends people. You remember Pastor Calvin last week saying, really there's three options for us. It's either go, it's either send, or it's either disobey. Remember what Steve said last week? He said, if you can't go yourself, send someone else. I am wondering if each of you here know which one you're called to. Are you called to go? Are you called to say, uh, send? But no one's really called to disobey. And it's really one of those first two options. Whichever one you are, we as a church, we want to invest and grow you in your calling And what we presented last week was a roadmap for how, if you're called to go, we want to invest in you so you can really grow in that calling as a goer. And if you've been called to send, then we want to really invest in you in your calling so that you can be a sender. Now, I I thought that a a cool way to kind of, uh, for the last part of our message, is to get more practical to get a little bit more down to earth, to start sharing about some examples and some stories of what people have experienced and how God people has 
called him to grow as, as either a sender or a grower. We did that um, in a very celebrated way last week, and so we're going to do that again today. And so first, thing, uh, first person I'd like to call up is Christine Lum. Christine, would you come up here? Can you guys give a hand to Christine? Okay, Christine, can you just say hello to everyone? Hi, everyone. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so Christine has a story. Three years ago, she went to the Urbana Missions Conference, which is coming again at the end of December. Raise your hand if you ever heard about Urbana. Okay, you all heard about Urbana. We, we talk about it a lot. Um, Urbana is one of the biggest mission conferences, I want to say, in the world. Um, I know it's more than 10,000 uh, uh, people who attend. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, that sounds about right. And so Christine went three uh, years ago, and I thought it would be really cool to get her up here and just, just share her story, like what happened, how was the experience, what she learned. So, so here's Christine. She's going to share. Yeah, so when I first went to Urbana three years ago, I, I went originally because I wanted to hear a clear yes or no from God about whether I should go into missions, become a missionary. Um, so the first half of the week that I was there, I spent worrying about that, wondering about that, and feeling like God was like leaving me without any answer. And then I went in for prayer during one of the prayer times that was open to me. Um, and the man who prayed for me didn't pray for discernment. He prayed it was just like an affirmation that God loved me. And it was during that time of prayer and realizing that God really loved me that I realized this conference, the place that I was at, it wasn't about a yes or no to going into missions. It was more about God cultivating my heart and expanding my worldview through being at Urbana. So the rest of the week, I was just able to relax and to be able to hear more about God's God's heart for the world and God's missions and to be able to learn. Um, so one of the things I definitely learned from that experience was about the persecuted church. And I think learning about the persecuted church really opened up my, my eyes and my world um, to a lot of people in the world who, who live as Christians but are persecuted and don't have the same privileges that we do. Um, it allowed me to see that they really were my brothers and sisters and that I should care about them and have um, yeah, the same heart that God has for them. And then the second thing that really struck me was just being surrounded by so many people, so many Christians who um, were pressing deeper into their faith. It really spurred me on um, to press deeper into my faith, to care more about what God cared about, and to have his heart. Um, so I think in conclusion, being at Urbana, it's not just about a yes or no to missions. It's more about God cultivating your heart and expanding your worldview. And so I really encourage all of you to consider going. I was thinking in terms of ways to respond, maybe there's two general categories, although they all bleed into each other. But one is going to an experience where your heart gets cultivated, right? Urbana totally fits that, you know? And, and Christine and I were talking, like, maybe people are going, but they think, should I go, yes or no? Am I called a mission, yes or no? But really the better question is, can you go and just get your heart cultivated like God's heart towards missions? And can you get your mind expanded and your worldview expanded? Another opportunity is perspectives. If you guys know Scott Lynn, 
He's going to co-lead a perspectives class. It's like 15 courses from like January to May. And it's, again, it's a way to get your heart cultivated and your mind expanded. And that's going to come to a facility nearby here for all those who might be interested. Uh, Another way of responding, not not just getting your heart cultivated, uh, is by going. By going and experience a short-term missions trip. And it was really cool. I think like uh, maybe 14 days ago, we had some openings in TJ. And I think right now that we're almost all filled. So we got a new batch of people going to TJ. Maybe some of them for the first time and that's exciting. But there are other opportunities. Now, let me talk to the college students right here. I don't know, like summer times are normally like internships and, and uh, ways to kind of advance your career. And those are good options. But how about considering a missions trip? If you're part of a college fellowship like AA or IV or maybe another one, I'm sure that you guys are going to go and send short-term missions teams towards the summer. Is that true? You cannot if that's true. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think there's definitely opportunities there. But along that vein, I'd like to invite someone also up who is also special. And... Uh, For those of you who don't know, the the person who just dreamed that she was single is this woman right here. Um, Yeah, what was up with that dream? Can you uh, tell us? No, okay. Um, So in February, our church is going to send out a short-term missionary team to an orphanage in Naga, India. And originally, this would be the second time we've gone. I was really excited to go, right? And... um, uh, some, at some point recently, I realized, actually, instead of going, there was a better idea that emerged. I'm going to let my wife kind of tell that story. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, in the past 12 years, I've been on one mission trip. I was able to go to TJ um, with my son, which was a great experience. But I've had three kids in the last 12 years, and so I, being a mom, I was quite busy But um, recently, Andrew asked me to read a chapter out of the book of Radical. And so um, I ended up reading the whole book. But um, as I was reading this book about God's heart for the world, I was processing, how can I apply this, uh, what I'm reading? And as I was processing it, I realized how insular my life had become. And I really struggled. I was like, I actually don't know people that are really poor around me. And so I was like, how am I going to apply what I'm reading? And so different ideas were going through my mind. And one of the things that came through my mind was I knew that Andrew and Gordon and a group were going to go to uh, Naga in February. And I thought that probably would be a way to apply it. And that would be really good for me to see um, what God is doing in India. But I quickly dismissed it because I was thinking, oh, I have my kids to take care of. I'm busy. I'm not able to go. But I didn't share this with anyone. But interestingly enough, um, I think a a day or two later, Andrew turned to me and said, I think you should go to Naga. And um, as I pondered that, I realized that God was opening up an opportunity for me to be able to go and to be part of his um, mission and to see what he was doing in the world. So um, I'm really excited. I'm going to get an opportunity to go to Naga in February, and I'm going to be able to meet the orphans, spend time with them, and uh, see how God is working in the world. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan.
You know, by the way, we, we have a, a few more openings for this, for this trip. Um, if if uh, God is gripping your heart, and also if you are male, um, there's going to be like a pretty much mostly female cast, and so we, we would like want to balance it out a little bit. Also, you can protect my wife and other, others, but I'm sure the women can do that fine too, but we, we would just uh, appreciate that. Anyways, um, so though we will be receiving applications for that if, if, uh, if you're interested. Uh, I want to share one last thought. <clears throat> it's, a little bit of, of, uh, it's a little bit of a story. I have a confession to make, and uh, when we talk about global evangelism and we honestly realize that, you know, that not a lot of Christians are really care about that that much, to my shame as a pastor, I have to be honest and just say, actually, that's, that's me. Uh, I remember the first year I started coming to Christian Layman Church, I, I think it was either it was Gordon or maybe it was his predecessor, Elliot. And they, they got up on this stage and they said, hey, today is Mission Sunday. And I remember I was, you know, in, in CLC, it was just like the first year. And when, when he said, oh, it's Mission Sunday, I kind of went, oh. I'm just being honest. And, and, and I was thinking, I kind of wish I had come on a different Sunday because I don't really care about that. That was my starting point. And I wish I could tell you a story of some dramatic turning point, but really my progression, the cultivation of my heart happened little by little. I went to TJ. God did something in my heart there. I became friends with Jonathan Zinkai. God did something in my heart there. I, I read a book. I read Radical. God was doing I went to Naga, and little by little, God has been cultivating my heart. And a funny thing happens, the more you love God, the more you start to love the things that he loves. The, the more you love God, the more you care about his glory. And the more you care about extending his glory across the entire world. So that's our invitation. Come, we, we've given you a roadmap, we've given you opportunities, but the idea is have your heart cultivated. You know, I think it's natural to be like, I'm actually scared that God might call me yes or no to go. And I feel like Christine's message speaks to us. No, it's not about that. It's really about having your heart cultivated and your mind expanded so that we become the people who say, actually, I want to go. I want to send. I want to be a part of spreading God's glory across the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that at the core of the message, we have good news to share. And that good news is so promising, so rewarding, so life-giving to all these people who are so desperate. And that's why when you think of people like Adoniram Judson and their sacrifice, it makes sense. Call us, Father, change us, cultivate our hearts so we would gladly spend it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.